Welcome to Cursed Objects, a podcast about cultural history, politics and tat, uh, where every week we bring in an object and we discuss the social world that surrounds it as a, as a way of looking at a whole host of challenging and complex and bullshit ways that our life, our life <laughs> and world is organised. I am a cosy jumper enthusiast, Dr. Cassidy. <laughs> And as ever, I am joined by my co-host. My name is Dan Hancocks. I'm a journalist, an author, and a pumpkin-spiced Scrooge. (laughs) Uh, And I will be hopefully rejecting some of the uh, orange things that you throw at me this week, Kasha. Okay, so um, that's an excellent way to kick us off. So both of us are just terminally online alas and um i saw a i saw a tweet uh, that i just thought was brilliant and really kind of alluded to a lot of the kind of complex structures and, and thoughts i guess around aestheticization and the commodifying of like times um i guess seasons really i just thought it was fascinating so our follower one of our followers lawrence dunn tweeted I love autumn, but abject pumpkinism must be halted. And there's like a <laughs> there's like a picture of uh, like a really nice, like cozy looking building. There's like a dog that looks like maybe it's wearing like a little orange, little orange outfit. Oh. But there is oh, just God. like there's just like a sea of pumpkins. And I guess what I kind of wanted to discuss uh, in this in this episode was that kind of that kind of aestheticization of, of the kind of season of autumn, but also this idea of like excess. So the specific object I'm going to discuss with you, well, I've brought, is a really, it was actually a really lovely gift. It smells amazing. It's a pumpkin latte candle, which is just, <laughs> it's just like, it's can, just. Can you smell the milk in the coffee? Do you know what? No, it just kind of I'm, smells like cinnamon. Of course you can't because cause like there is because latte doesn't have a well, it smells of coffee, doesn't it? Well, exactly. So it, 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 it's, but it's just a spice, isn't it? Yeah, really, and guess. it's it says on the side a mindful blend of nutmeg, cinnamon, <laughs> orange, vanilla, and spices. And I guess what I really love about this, um, I think it was my brother's um, my gr- brother's fiance that bought this for me, and I absolutely love it. Like it smells amazing. My whole room smells fantastic. I just think it's really interesting that there is almost kind of like a constellation. There's almost like not, I don't want to say a Venn diagram. I think kind of more of a kind of crazy mind map might be like appropriate (laughs) here that connects things like spice lattes, pumpkin spice lattes with candles, with mindfulness, with cozy jumpers. Like it creates, there is like a constellation of how the, how like autumn, I guess, is aestheticized and then sold back to us as an idea that I just think is fascinating. And I think one, one thing I really want to 
kind of dig into today is like how far does that go back like I, I mean like I want to uh, later on I want to sort of say some things about like the origins of Halloween and Guy Fawkes Night and stuff but like the, this this aestheticization and commodification basically the turning of the spirit of the season into tat which is obviously what we're interested in here at Cursed Objects you know like how recent do we think that is because it's pump, pumpkin spice lattes are a Starbucks thing from mm-hmm. 2003, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think so, um, around then. And But, like, if you looked at the sort of... If you looked at pumpkin-spiced things on a graph, like a Google Trends graph, if you could somehow graph it, it would sort of almost be exponential, right, since that point. Like, I don't feel like I was hearing much crap about... I w- You wouldn't walk into supermarket in 2005 in the autumn and expect to see loads of things that were like spiced with what is it even like nutmeg cinnamon because pumpkin spice as far as i know is not it's not necessarily the flavor of pumpkin it's the flavor that you would put with pumpkin in a pumpkin pie yeah because pumpkins always comes back to america yeah because like pumpkins are quite i mean please please don't shoot me but they're quite like they're kind of fairly bland aren't they they're like a kind of fairly bland-ish squash basically fairly like sweet sweet oh yeah are they are they are they see i buy pop butternut squash fairly often but yeah pumpkins more bland in fact i just i don't i mean i just don't oh, think they're one. they're not super exciting i don't think like mm. maybe that's just maybe that's just but me. the sweetness but the sweetness pairs well with whatever, yeah, sort of nut, nutmeg and um, and cinnamon and allspice, I think, as well. Like those quite mm. aromatic sort of spices that, yes, have bled out from kind of the Starbucks latte and become this insane sort of phenomenon that it's, it's an interesting, like the idea that it's pumpkin spiced season or pumpkin season is one of various, it sort of feeds into other ways that people conceive of this particular time of year, right? Like... Hygge season, Hygge, very popular in the mm-hmm. last few years, the uh, sort of Scandi uh, notion of uh, sort of coziness. Um, there's Christian Girl Autumn, my partner was <laughs> telling me about today. Do you know about Chris? Do you not know about this? Um, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very real what thing. The fuck? <laughs> I'm glad I was able to surprise you with this. Well, let, let me read to you, if I may, Kasha, oh from an, art, an article on BuzzFeed in 2019 about Christian Girl Autumn. <laughs> it, was a, it was a meme. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to keep saying it because it's cracking up too much. It's um, so but yeah, a photo oh. of like two women, and it's sort of describing the photo as follows. Uh, this is how the piece opens. With swooping scarves, matching leather bags, brown ankle boots, and terrifyingly well-coiffed curls, the two smiling women in the photo look like fall personified or a pumpkin spice latte come to life. Now, the three-year-old picture of two southern influencers has gone viral in recent days and spawned a whole new meme called Christian Girl Autumn. Um, and yeah, it's basically these, it was nothing to do with the women in the photo. Like it was a bit like the photo of the four lads wearing skinny jeans. Like it was just, it sort of, it was a photo that was out there in the ether, but mm. then came to be memeified and symbolize this idea of Christian girl autumn, which I think is a really interesting, um, along with Hygge season. And you could say maybe that even leads into cuffing season, which is, you know, around the corner, um, uh, for, for our, some of our older and less online, uh, listeners, we should probably say what cuffing season is, which is it's essentially about, about coupling up. I think that's a fair way of putting yeah, it, right? Yeah. Like, so just, like, just for the like, winter months. Just, but just to have someone to cuddle in, like when it's cold out and like you want to but a lot of this about is about domesticity right it's about the home i think and about 
about sort of a reaction to the period in the summer when we're out um I say sowing our wild oats but that's not mm. what I want to say at all <laughs> just 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 having fun in public like there's a more public culture in the summer yeah. for obvious reasons in most countries certainly in the UK that then as the nights draw in um you know a lot maybe it's stating the obvious but I think the stuff about like hygge and coziness and coughing season and even then maybe Christian girl autumn mm. some mm. of that is about some of like these are overlapping kind of ideas, aren't they? That are, that are sort of about a a retreat from the the public, maybe, and, and a domestic. I don't think that maybe applies to Christian girl autumn, but Christian girl autumn. Why Christian, right? Like, I guess because it's sort of it's wholesome. Like you hang up the the like the promiscuity, the permissiveness yes. of the summer. Yes, you put That's that. It. You take that hat off and you put on a new hat, which is Christian girl autumn, which yeah. is when you have your spice lattes, and I. Okay, so like, I think it's really interesting how we conceptualize a sense of home outside of the home. So like, we are sold the image of like, what our home should be like, but also pumpkin Mm. spice is doing loads of different legwork in this context. So because you can get something like a pumpkin spice candle, it is like Mm. both a functional thing that you use, but it's also a flavor. So you're also, it's also something that you will, it's like pulled pork, right? It's like, it's, it's at the whims of the kind of trends, like food trends while also being sold to us in things like like this is a perfect example of intertextual translation you know how like one thing can be a food and it can also be a scent or a smell and it can be like a candle or it can be bubble bath or it can be whatever and I just think there's something really interesting there about how it's doing loads of different things in different contexts. Well and according to that bit of BuzzFeed I just read pumpkin spice can even be in albeit personified what what did it say pumpkin spice you know these women are pumpkin spice latte come to life that's mm. how intertextual it is mm. but these women are pumpkin spice latte simply because they're wearing like scarves and leather bags and brown ankle boots <laughs> um i mean i say this there's also i think uh, did i send you this uh, did you see this earlier cash i think i sent you the uh the Halloween Nike Air Max 90s mm, um, yeah. that, uh, that, that are just that same, basically an autumnal colour palette. Intertextual is sort of, in a way, a slightly fancy sort of academic way of describing actually a lot of the stuff that we di- we talk about on Cursed Objects in terms of like consumer products. Mm. So Halloween and pumpkin spice, say either of these things, Maybe 15, 20 years ago, if you walked into a supermarket, you might be able to buy three or four items that were either, yeah, pumpkin spice or in some way like your Halloween food items. As the sort of, as capitalism becomes sort of even more like determined to gobble up space and uh, to map these kind of ideas into new things, like the number of objects you can get in October in a supermarket in an average shop that are orange that are shaped like a pumpkin, that are all the that smell of like nutmeg and uh, you know have pumpkin spice sort of written on them somewhere, has just exploded, hasn't it? Mm. Like like you know, ca- capitalism is doing the work of it of is, is being intertextual in the sense that it keeps trying to find new things that you can adapt. Like pumpkin Absolutely. spice is popular, Halloween is popular. Let's uh, map this idea, this uh, this aesthetic, this color palette, this flavor palette, whatever it might be. 
um, onto something completely ridiculous, which is how you end up with a situation where uh, you now can buy pumpkin spiced poppers, uh, <laughs> as, as I learned this this afternoon, um, which is really really pushing it. I mean, a candle, fine. Pop poppers, that's, that's surprising. Uh, can I just you know, say? So one of my one of the favorite one of my favorite things that I saw online. Um, Online, <laughs> one of my favorite things. Oh yeah, I, I know online. You, you know, know online. The world, the World Wide Web. Yeah, yeah. Do you no, remember the, there, yeah. the World Wide Web? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things I saw was someone's taken like a packet, like a carton of Marlboro cigarettes, and you mm. know, like the kind of color of um, well, they've kind of changed the color, so it's not like Marlboro red, but it's kind of like Marlboro gold. But underneath the mm. Marlboro sign, it says Marlboro pumpkin spice, like Marlboro <laughs> pumpkin spice one hundred. It's obviously like taking the piss, but I just think even with that, like. You know, that's like, it's obviously a joke, but it's like the crux of that joke is that pumpkin spice is on everything. And like you said, capitalism is going to capitalize. So it will just capitalize on absolutely everything. And it just, it's, it feels so fitting that like Marlboro, the cigarette giant, who literally are responsible for the death of, death of millions, basically. Like I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to knock smoking too much because... Sometimes I love it, but do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> the fact that it is like objectively one of the worst things you can do for your health yeah. willingly and like matching that up with pumpkin spice is just so, it's so on the nose. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, so yeah. accurate. Like <laughs> No, it's a cracking joke about, as you, uh, I love that phrase, capitalism going to capitalize, but like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect joke, but also like if it was feasible for Marlboro, who I'm guessing are owned by British American Tobacco, because I think they own most cigarette brands, maybe not Philip Morris, one of the two. Anyway, whoever owns Marlboro, if it was if it was feasible for them to make actual pumpkin spice cigarettes, they'd do it in a heartbeat, mm. wouldn't they? Like mm. that that's Absolutely. just that's actually, that's actually just that's that almost doesn't sound like a joke to me. It sounds like a thing that's probably happened. Except <laughs> except that the, the way that, you know, because of the sort of very, very delayed sort of serious regulation of cigarette of cigarette companies, um, particularly well in the West anyway. They don't, you know, they don't they don't get to do branding and packets in quite mm. really anymore. <laughs> they don't get to they don't get to aestheticize the experience mm-hmm. in the way that they used to for decades. But this is what's so fascinating because because pumpkin spice is all about aesthetics. Like I think it's just fascinating that what does pumpkin spice season mean? We already have a season. That season is autumn. <laughs> like why do we need to why do yeah. we need to add this extra layer of aesthetics onto it? And basically it's it's because it's a way of commodifying seasons our experience of seasons and selling it back selling that image to us right that we then willingly buy because I don't know I think there are a range of reasons like I was just kind of like noting down all of the festivals that we have coming up so you've got harvest which so this is basically around like the idea of harvest isn't it although that's not like an official holiday but do you know what I mean there is like definitely strong harvest vibes going on in autumn there's Guy Fawkes there's Halloween Americans have got Thanksgiving and then there's Christmas and it's obviously because you know like there is a collection of festivals uh, or like mar- like markers mm. to like celebrate during this moment because obviously I don't know about you but like when it's st- when the days started getting like much shorter, like, you know, that seasonal depression hits hard, like, and it <laughs> always has, you know, like the weather's rubbish, it won't stop raining. Like these festivals are obviously there as a way of like breaking up that kind of, that season, that time, mm. making it feel less stagnant. It also 
comes at a time when I feel like we're all working super hard. Like, no, like September, I think, I don't know whether it's because of the school calendar and how that's organized, but I really feel that kind of like the summer's quite chill, you know, you're relaxing and then it's like, bam, it's September and it's like, you got to work really hard at this, you're doing that, like managing loads of projects. Do you know what I mean? It's that feeling. I think you're absolutely right. But let's like push this back centuries or possibly more in the sense that like before anyone really went to school, yeah, people were working harder this time of year without even the back to school vibe because they because exactly as you say, it's harvest time and you need to be in the bloody fields if you're going to survive until through the winter. Um, harvest, harvesting that produce. Uh, yeah, I wonder if there are, do you think there are a disproportionate number of festivals at this time of year? I think maybe that is true. There's, I mean, there are, there is a bunch of... I don't know, ones. like, I can't, can't, I can't really think of many spring ones other than like Easter. Well, I've got my, I mean, May Day uh, is, is the big, is the big mm-hmm. one. Um, the, the sort of, you know, in pre-Christian times uh, was really important. I've got one of my favourite books out um, for the purpose of this episode, which is called Re- Revel, Riot and Rebellion, Popular Politics and Culture in England from 1603 to 1660. It's by someone called David Underdown. <laughs> what are you laughing at me for? Obviously, this is one of my favourite books. Think, <laughs> I just think that is so adorable that you're like, <laughs> oh, I'm just getting out one of my favourite books and then it's like super niche. Like, it's amazing. It's about, it's about kind of, pop, well, it's about popular festivities and sort of uh, celebrations during the sort of pre-Civil War period and then into the Civil War period. And it also incorporates the gunpowder plot uh, happened during this period in, in 1605. But there's something there's something quite useful here that I think is worth knowing about sort of the roots of Halloween, uh, which will go back to a Celtic festival called, um, and I'm going to try and pronounce this right, Sarwin. It's sort of spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. It's a Gaelic word. Uh, but Sarwin... It's like a, a pagan festival from sort of ancient Celtic uh, religious traditions that would be celebrated uh, around October 31st to November the 1st to welcome in the harvest and usher in sort of the darker half of the year. The Celts believed, uh, this is not actually from the book, but I'm just going to tell you about Sarwin, Sarwin first because I think it's, it's useful for understanding where Halloween came from. Uh, the Celts believed that leading up to the transition into the new year, which began on November the 1st for them, the door between the worlds of the living and the dead swung open. The souls of the recently dead, previously trapped on Earth, could now pass to the underworld. Since they thought that spirits came out after dark, this supernatural activity reached its peak on the night before the new year, which was October the 31st. Um, Winter was cold and dark. Food was scarce. Everyone came together for one last bash to break bread, share stories and stand tall against the dead, strengthening community ties at the time that they were needed the most, i.e. before a period in which you're, you know, potentially... Uh, you're going to die of, of hunger or whatever if you've had a bad harvest. That that uh, bit I was reading was just from was from a piece on theconversation.com, uh, how, how Halloween was once a Celtic pagan tradition. So you got that initially, uh, those are the pagan roots. And then to go, go back to my, my favourite book, Revel, Riot and Rebellion by David Underdown, he then explains how um, the thing that happens so many times where a pagan tradition is co-opted by a Christian church in order to subdue that pagan tendency among kind of ordinary, uh, ordinary people, uh, and replace it's like a church, the church hierarchy essentially sort of, uh, as everyone sort of knows, I think about Christmas Day as well, like taking a bunch of existing traditions that the ordinary people refuse to give up, 
and putting them into the framework of a, of a religion that it's really you know that has much greater discipline and uh, you know fits with the well with the religion of the of the ruling classes ultimately, which in this case is Protest- Protestantism. Um, so just to read from Underdown's Rebel Riot and Rebellion again, he says, just as the early church had taken over many of the pagan feasts, so did Protestants acquire their own rituals, adapting older forms or providing substitutes for them. The most obvious English example is the replacement of the traditional Halloween on 31st of October by the fiercely anti-Catholic Gunpowder Treason Day on the 5th of November. Halloween, when goblins and spirits had to be propitiated, had come under the same official ban at the Reformation as other saints' days. So these pagan things were being banned basically right, left and centre mm. because of the sort of disciplinary and, uh, you know, more ascetic, should we say, like uh, less less festive uh, vibe of the Reformation Protestants. Halloween was still occasionally celebrated, for example, at Wellington in Somerset as late as 1604, when the constable was beaten up by a disorderly crowd of revellers. Um, by the way, this book, Rebel, Riot and Rebellion, is just full of like these amazing stories of like football <laughs> matches that descended into riots in the 17th century and like maypole dances and things called church ales, like as in like an ale is like a noun for a sort of a festivity, basically that that descends mm. into like drunk. They all descend into drunken carnage and fornication and rioting and and you know the history of the 17th century in England is basically like the church and the establishment attempting to stamp out all of these popular festivities because they were fucking they were scared <laughs> of what it, it, it entailed. But yeah, anyway, just to return quickly to Underdown, he says there are some interesting parallels between Halloween and Guy Fawkes Day rituals. The playing of goblin-like tricks on people who would not contribute to the festivities, for example. And yeah, in 1606, Parliament ordered the annual observance of the 5th of November as a day of thanksgiving. And it quickly became an occasion for affirming Protestant and national identity, its anti-Catholic meaning making it particularly attractive to the Puritans. Um, so yeah, that's. I feel like that history, I was... I sort of looked up the underdown because I feel like I vaguely remembered he'd written about briefly about Halloween, but that makes a lot of sense, right? These festi- these festivals are a week apart, and actually, it turns mm-hmm. out they share, share an awful lot in the practice of them. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But they're from completely different traditions and for completely different reasons. And that idea of a sort of almost like grassroots pagan celebration of Halloween versus a like top-down sort of religious Puritan anti-Catholic. Um, festival the week late like i i mean i think a lot of us i'd love to know what you think as a catholic i should be like i grew up i went to a regular like non-religious um secondary school where like fireworks at night and stuff was just part of the conversation part of the i don't know if we we didn't have fireworks at my school or whatever but like it was you know it was celebrated and normal and i was quite surprised when i then went to a catholic sixth form college having grown up not in a catholic household to find that you know, this was greatly disdained because it was like, obviously, this is this is like a, a festival mm. of religious hatred that um, mm. that has, as I've just read out from the Underdown book, it's been imposed from the very top of British society. Yeah. Uh, not great. I mean, did you you didn't go to a Catholic school, did you, Cash? No, 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 I didn't. Do you know, what? it was just I'm just like really fascinated by that idea of it being top down and, mm. and also religious differences between Catholics and Protestants were basically like the organizing guiding principle for like mm. for hundreds hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was like a stable fixture of how and death. how in, in, <laughs> and yeah, wars yeah, how, and everything really, you yeah. know, in in Europe. Like 
Absolutely. Like, I mean, I know like across Europe, but it's just really interesting to think about how those differences between Catholics and Protestants seem so insignificant now. Mm. Like I've never felt that because of my like culturally Catholic background that anyone would like discriminate against me based on that identity. Mm. Whereas that's not the norm. His, like historically, that's not the norm. Absolutely like, um, not. Like, Although of course you, you still can't be queen, you realise, because you're a Catholic. Ah, oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll just be the queen of people's hearts. Just... Oh, oh, that's, <laughs> that's an it excellent is, backup plan. Cuff, I love it. Is, it. <laughs> it is cuffing season after all. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, uh, actually, no, I'm not, I'm not going to make an appeal on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, like it's, it, it, I, I did find it shocking at Sixth Form College to learn that like, oh, this, this thing that just felt like a really just normative part of the British kind of cultural experience, um, you know, we don't have many rituals, rites and festivities left, really, um, which sounds like a an odd complaint, but like I have... I've, this is a hobby. This is a hobby horse of mine that essentially, in the period from the Reformation onwards, um, throughout the seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth centuries, huge efforts and successful efforts at that went on across Europe, um, largely led by the Christian Church, uh, and particularly the like Protestant Church in 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 England, uh, and I'm assuming Scotland and Wales as well. I mean, uh, to eradicate kind of popular festivities like the kind I was describing, you know, maypole dances, um, church ales, you know, saints days, any excuse for a piss up, basically. Yeah. Um, and and they succeeded. We don't have many of the these sort of vestiges of sort of uh, celebrations left. By the way, I wonder if you can hear fireworks from... Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't. ...on the recording, because there are some going on in the background right now uh, <laughs> as I'm recording, which is rather nice. Um, are you a fan of fireworks? I mean, because so I, like, I think once I discovered what the roots of Guy Fawkes were uh, and acquired a lot more Catholic friends, I was like, this this isn't cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think... I think Guy Fawkes is a really interesting example, a really useful example, actually, of how, like, certain festivities lose all sense of, like, meaning and purpose. Like, I I personally, when I think about Guy Fawkes Night, don't think about the fact that he was a Catholic. Uh, I didn't even know that his real name was Guido. I just thought that Guido Fawkes was that horrible, awful right wing, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know, like, bright Barty guy or whatever like he just chats loads of nonsense and it, and it think, is that as well i mean it is also yeah, yeah. yeah it is also that which i think is really funny like how that like idea that guy fawkes this like subversive character is also really interesting mm. and how loads of people both on the left and the right kind of like co-opt that image of like subversion as a way yeah. of like kind of championing their personal politics or like specifically politics around direct action i would say <laughs> but Dan, I also really, well, I didn't answer your question. So fireworks, I'm really not a fan. Like, I'm just, oh. I know, I'm so as a, as a cat I As a cat lover. Maybe. I know, I know it's that. I'm just too empathetic for cat, like cats. <laughs> but I don't know, I think I remember seeing them as a child and being quite scared by them. I I love sparklers. I think they're so fun, but also I'm like... 
I'm low-key too. Like, I'm I'm still shook. I'm still shook of them from like, my childhood experiences. Oh, like, no, do you remember do you remember the, those like ad campaigns that are about like sparklers and like don't yes. because so many kids were getting like third degree burns from sparklers yeah. or like putting their eye out because they're they're really sharp as well. It's like the whole thing, like around it, it's like like don't don't give me fire in my hands. I'm not to be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that shouldn't be happening. I think I admire I think I admire the like hedonism uh, in a way, the hedonism of like of, of fireworks, in the mm. sense that this is such a it's sort of such an empty sort of way of spending time and money and resources in a way to just mm. we're just gonna blow some shit up to look at it like that's mm. that's you could say it's just like it's it's about creating a mass spectacle and aesthetic enjoyment just like music or art of any other form i guess i guess it does it does feel it does feel weirdly hedonistic in the in the 21st century when like obviously we're not like the yeah the anti-catholicism well outside of lewis which apparently <laughs> lewis in sussex like their their, their um their the anti-catholicism is, yeah. is still quite serious still rife, i think yeah. on, on their parade and stuff i would really like to go one year uh purely as someone who's like interested in crowds and popular festivities but um i'm not sure yeah uh I, i'm sure some of our listeners have actually been and we'll be able to speak to how what the vibe is like and i'm sure it's more, far more complicated than it's simply being like a terrifying conservative you know uh small c or big c conservative like witch hunt of catholics i don't i don't think it operates quite like that and you know i'm, I'm generally pro more festivities and stuff but particularly like free slightly raucous ones i mean it's something that when i travel to spain as i have quite a lot and spend time in spain the propensity of any Spanish town or city to just be randomly having a big fuck off yeah. carnival, a, a free one, so I appreciate fun, a free yeah. one in yeah. public space that is free to access, that literally everyone from the age of five to 85 will be in the town square watching the bands. Like I've seen so, so many times I've seen like a group of like young Spanish men and women in their 20s doing like cover versions of Rage Against the Machine while like <laughs> like killing in the name of while like a few seven-year-olds like dance like seven-year-olds do like they're doing the twist or something in the front row and then like the, the old the old ladies and old men of the village are like having just having some you know um a, gl- a nice glass of sherry at the back while, while all this goes on and like the teenagers from the town are like smoking weed around the corner but even they're there as well even though they're like oh embarrassing to be out with your parents like you know it's the kind of ability of other countries in general to sort of have more free open public festivities than mm. than britain is something that to be envied and hopefully emulated so i feel like i can't hate on i can't i can't reject uh either halloween or or guy force like really as much as I think I don't like them because I, I don't I don't I refuse to accept that the nights are drawing in and that it's going to be winter because <laughs> I just I just get SAD so bad I just I really I want it to be spring and summer all the time and uh, I, I I'm I'm in denial about the fact that uh, that yeah that the nights are drawing in that we're entering that season of darkness and yeah. danger really like you know yeah. I mean to to call back to the idea of like you know if the harvest fails 
our community are fucked and like and our community you know being you know us and the other cave people or whatever or the other peasant farmers um hey that's not of... that's no way to describe people on twitter dan <laughs> <laughs> cash can i ask you about harvests did you sure. um absolutely at primary can. school what level of celebration singing uh practice was there around harvest time was there anything at all yeah, I in my school there was lots of singing. We'd have like a little kind of like assembly. Um mm-hmm. do you know the song Harvest Time, Harvest when the crops are gathered. I think about that song too. Wow. Too much. No, no, well, these things really stay in your head, but what's they interesting really to me do. is I've got I've got my own little playlist here of stuff that's stuck in my head about harvests, and that's not one of them. So it's clearly a North South <laughs> London divide thing. But like, I don't know. I think one of the ideas, but you know, coming back to the original tweet that's kind of sparked off this conversation about abject pumpkinism mm. that I find really uncomfortable or is kind of like, you know, really pressing in this conversation is the idea of like harvest festivals are kind of, a, they're, they're like celebrating all of the things that you've gathered, right? They're not about opulence necessarily, but they are about no. like the celebration of food. And I feel really, you know, I feel like especially at the moment with the cost of living crisis and food prices and inflation, I think that there is a subtext here this year specifically about that feels really uncomfortable about that, about how a lot of the food that like I remember being at school and we would like, um, you know, all bring in food. And I think it I don't know if it was for I think I think it would go off to charities, you know, bring in your tins and it would go off to charities. But now food banks have become such a stable presence in our yeah. social organization in our social world because yeah. of you know how much austerity we've undergone and cuts there's nothing left to cut flatlining um, real real wages you know you like know, un- exactly. like empl- and, employment levels in britain are historically remarkably high like yeah, and, yeah. and yet people are in poverty how could this possibly be well exactly they're extracting more of your surplus value um, exactly. and, 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 and I don't know whether I kind of have been thinking about whether it's a mark of resistance that we can continue these celebrations and these festivities or if it's yeah. callous do you know what I mean like is it is it callous or is it good because actually we f- we should fully be celebrating like the joys of like the food and produce that we have but also you know if a large proportion of society can't afford those foods if we live in yeah. a world that is not serving and in a society that's not serving the vast majority of people how comfortable can can we feel doing that do you know yeah. what I mean no, I mean, I can, no, I definitely do. I think, um, yeah, that's a really, a really good point about the, just the discomfort of um, a celebration of, of the food that's going to keep us going through the winter mm. as we face a winter in which people are really, really, well, they're already struggling in, in horrendous ways with, um, with, with energy costs as well as, you know, food costs and, you know, soaring rent and so on. Um, I, I, I guess one thing I think about Harvest, though, is like, how much do we as urban dwelling adults in 2022 even sort of like it's surprising to me that uh, two London primary schools that you and I went to I know, yeah. um, that we celebrate like what how much time do you spend in a, in a field cash like you know it's, it's actually quite a remarkable thing to me that we yeah. that we that we are encouraged to sing songs celebrating the successful harvest which is going to keep us alive during the winter 
in schools where like you never you're not going to see a cow or or you know or like you know a field of wheat and um you know i mean plausibly because particularly in like cities where there's generally lack of you know less mobility that goes along with more poverty you know a lot a lot of basically a lot of people who live in cities don't do not go do not travel do not the mobility that comes with privilege as much that means that you often get like all the kids i was at school with like wouldn't have spent a lot of time in the countryside, basically. I mean, nor did I, you know. Um, mm. But um, but so it's a sort of it seems really odd to like like none of us are going to go on to ever su- like execute a harvest. It seems mm. uh, from from those primary school backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yet and yet it's important that we sort of it's seen as important that we learn about it, and so we have all these songs. Um, I wonder how how much that's true in other like you know in the, in in a primary school in. Uh, in Paris, in Berlin, in Rome. I wonder if they if they also sing songs celebrating the harvest because it's been, you know, it's been quite a long time before. It's quite a, it's a few generations back, I would mm. say, before you get to like, um, in my family anyway, like people who are working the fields. Like, yeah, like that's that that goes back on, and yet here we are singing cauliflowers, fluffy and cabbages green. I love did that you, one. Did you sing that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one. It's so where good. where are the where are the broad beans sleeping, Kasha? In their blankety bed. Correct. Which is where yeah, I want I'm, to be I'm... sleeping. <laughs> like that image of the child was so evocative, wasn't it? Yeah. I was like, shit, man. Those blankety beds sound amazing. Like I want to be, a, I want to be a broad bean. <laughs> that's very sweet, but that's also, but that's you know, that that speaks to Herger season, does it not? You know, the blankety. Mm. This is where, this is where I bet Christian girl, autumn girl, would also <laughs> like to be sleeping in a blankety bed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, co- yeah, cozy just... domesticity again, isn't it? It's like it's like part oh, of the uh, part of the aesthetic that we were sort of describing in this various different ways of framing this season it, yeah a lot of it's about it does come back to sort of um coziness and domesticity and pu- putting up uh i don't know protective barriers against the cold the bad mm-hmm. weather the dark the depressing <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of uh vibes outside the window but i guess again because we're both you know because we're both um i guess cultural studies practitioners if if you will call if you will call what we do that I just, I'm really, I, I know that, I know, <laughs> I know that we're both really fascinated in the idea of like a constellation of things about the linking of like certain mm. objects with certain ideas. And I was teaching, um, I was teaching some master students for this like really amazing course on um, sustainable futures in design and mm. um, kind of use, I was using it was all about research methods. So like, how do you use objects in your, in your research? And um I was kind of talking through Roland Barthes' idea of of connotation and denotation in in with regards to objects. So um, denotation kind of speaks of the material qualities or aspects of that thing that w- won't change. So, for example, mm. this pumpkin latte, it uh, this pumpkin latte candle, it will always be a candle which is glass on the outside. It will always be, you know, it will always be made by Burn Wild, and it will also mm. always have a classic fragrance to welcome fall on it, right? Mm-hmm. It will always be an essential oil soy candle, natural, handcrafted and vegan, because that's what it says on it. That will never change. But the connotations of this object will change mm. both over time, um, firstly, because an object like this just 
I don't think it would, it just simply wouldn't have existed in the 1970s or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the meaning of the objects, so the connotations of it change over time. But also we can situate it with as being like an object of the age because of the kind of constellation of things that surround it. So when you're talking about, um, what was it? A cozy Christian girl autumn, whatever. Like, it's like, you know, if you create the spider graph, the mind map around this object, you also like, you also kind of have an avenue, a door, a window into a whole host of like really different and disparate experiences or or, or ideas that um, that you might not think are necessarily connected, right? So mm. there is a connection with this candle, with with the idea of wellness, with the idea of the aestheticization of the home, but also, you know, like you can kind of then link it to like pagan practices, pagan festivals. And I did this little like task with them where we were like looking at a number of objects and I was like to them, okay, like using this one object, imagine that you have like Amazon algorithm brain basically and like uh people who bought this might also like this <laughs> so like with like the autumn with you know the conversations that we've had i just think it's really fascinating that from this candle or from the idea of like pumpkin spice lattes or whatever you can get a whole uh like mm. window into like loads of really specific cultural contexts that are like mm. loads of contemporary things that are happening right now you know yeah like the idea that this candle has to be vegan well i mean it's quite mm. weird so it would, you know like it's i think it's kind of weird that it'd say that if it's also a soy candle and we know how bad soy is for the environment like mm. oh don't worry it's vegan but also yeah like it's you know it's made out of soy which is like yeah we know how destructive it is in terms of the planet and like you know reducing biodiversity mm. and whatever i just think that there's so many like fascinating things that we can just get just from talking no, it's about why, this <laughs> i mean not to get meta but it's why this podcast is so great and why it's such a good idea for an episode <laughs> that's not that's not meta that's just extremely <laughs> extremely wanky i'm just being silly but like no you're right like so many things spring off like from from these these one objects right these single objects um one that we one one of those things in the in that constellation that i think we actually haven't really touched on and we really ought to is um is american cultural hegemony and imperialism because so it's become really common like i don't i don't know how many overseas listeners we have i haven't looked at the stats recently but if anyone's listening from overseas it's important to know, I think, that like the way that the conversation happens among, I don't know, I think I would speak for both of us, Kasia, among our like friendship group and milieu, people that we know, you see, you know, people tweeting about this as well. The general received wisdom, I would say, is there's way too much Halloween tat. A mm. B, that's quite a new thing relatively mm. speaking and C, it all comes from America. And I was um I was kind of wondering like and like, you know, I absolutely, I find it appalling and pathetic. I mean, that's basically a sort of what abject punkinism, uh, the uh, the sort of phrase that led off this episode, is sort of what that says to me is like, when I walk into my local co-op supermarket, uh, as I did the three days after Halloween, and saw the pile of plastic crap that no one was ever going to buy, reduced to clear, things like a special... Halloween themed pumpkin carving knife. There were like 20 of these. <laughs> this is a little co-op, a little supermarket. Um, little like not a big supermarket at all. They had like 20 of these going cheap. Because well, who needs a pumpkin carving knife now? 
I know. And like, I know. You know, and like, and so it's, you know, it's it, it really. to be uh, thrown away. Like, who, exactly. who are they for? I don't know. More, I would say more so even than Easter, less so than Christmas, certainly, but like more so than Easter and more so than any other time of year that I can think of. The, uh, the quantity of needless, unsustainably produced and made crap, you know, whether that, and that, a lot of that's going to be food, uh, but, you know, who wants to buy, you know, uh, Halloween, like pumpkin spiced cupcakes on the 4th of November? Nobody does. Like, mm. um, and, and a lot of those will go to waste. But yeah, in, in that, th- that does feel, and that just, you know, okay, so to recap for people who don't remember how old we are, I'm 41. Like, my, for me, growing up in the 80s, we, there was trick-or-treating, that was a thing. Uh, I remember bobbing for apples. I remember various Halloween traditions and rituals, and I remember getting excited about it. But there definitely wasn't nearly as much crap. Um, it was sort of like if you were going to dress up, you would dress up as something scary, not as mm. you know Kim Kardashian or whatever. Like uh, it, and, and I think the more the American version of Halloween has become more and more culturally dominant in the last 20 years, particularly the last 10 years, maybe, and it's led to production more stuff. And yeah, there's a, there's a big backlash against that, which abject pumpkinism speaks to. And I wonder if it sometimes bleeds over into anti-Americanism, but I also think it's broadly correct, so I don't really care about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's broadly correct to blame American, like, co- capitalist, cultural imperialism for it, I think. Mm. What do you reckon? I just I just really love the idea that you're like, if people were going to dress up, they'd dress up as something scary. And I'm just like remembering like me. Yeah, me. Just some of my really low quality, my really incredibly low quality Halloween outfits just because I was mm. like, oh, shit, I need to dress up as something. My current favorite go to if I'm going to dress up is roadkill. I'm like, that's oh my god, that's 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 both that's dark and quite funny and original. To be fair, like, I, yeah, I'm impressed with that. I went to I went to a Halloween party this year, um, which I hadn't realised was a Halloween party, and I hadn't realised it was going to involve a costume component, which is quite funny because actually almost everyone, apart from me and my partner, had made an effort. Um, uh, I'm not I'm not into dressing up. I find it embarrassing. Uh, not not personally. I'm got I just for everybody. I think you, I think you know. <laughs> I think I think it just leads to some really crap conversations, a bit of a waste of time, which, you know, is a bit of a reaction review on my part. I think, you know, costuming has always been part, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm so invested in the like long centuries and thousands of years of history of these of sort of popular festivity and costuming was always a big part of it. Having said that, uh, I think some of the sort of pagan ancient costumes where people would like dress up as a like just just wear a hedge, um, for mm. example. That doesn't make much sense, does it? But like people who like use loads of the forest to sort of, you know, turn themselves into something quite alarming and non-human. It's sort of a bit more exciting than just, uh, I don't know, dressing up as a sexy nurse or whatever. (laughs) Is that what you usually go for? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Castro, I feel like you skirted the question of anti-Americanism and, uh, and whether, whether like rejecting rejecting uh, sort of Halloween tat and abject pumpkinism is itself is it is it a is it a righteous act of anti-capitalist sort of you know a, a legitimate thing or is it or is it is it simply anti-American? I don't think if it I don't think it can ever just be one or the other. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't I don't think it's like an either or situation. I think that like there is a really strong backlash against, you know, American like 
hegemony, basically. But also there's only, I think a lot of people reject reject it on principle, like ideologically, but actually like they're still quite happy with like the celebrate like the way that those celebrations are formed so mm. yeah okay you go into tesco's and there's loads of like rubbish basically and mm. it's like it's one of those things that whenever anything's bad we're like oh the americans and we associate it with the americans i mean it's then a big we- part of yeah like the 2000s i feel like um you know, particularly with the war on terror and stuff, it was quite common. And even in the 90s, I remember as a teenager, when Britpop happened, part of the rationale was like, well, we've, we've had enough of grunge and Americans tell us, telling us what to listen to. And, you know, McDonald's and Starbucks and Apple is ruining the world. And it's just such a shame that that sort of ends up being framed as like a, like it should just be an anti-capitalist thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do. I do agree. Like, I think, I've been quite susceptible to a kind of anti-American thing because I think it allows people to highlight their their unique the uniqueness of their identity and it's yeah. it's got quite a lot of like wake up sheeple energy do you know what I mean it's like oh completely you, like me and inter- me an intellectual I would I would <sighs> never buy into these like capitalist festivities yeah, yeah, and actually yeah. you know I think it's a shame the poor old pumpkin is getting such a such a rough ride <laughs> because actually I mean like, you, you started this off by saying it didn't taste of large cash so yeah I know <laughs> I mean it's not it isn't super tasty but that's not it's fault, right? Yeah. It's not the pumpkin's fault that it's not like the most tasty of the, of the squashes, in my opinion, or exciting of the squashes. I don't know. Like, I think that, I think, and I actually, I'm also going to kind of like slightly push back on your like sexy nurse comment. I actually think mm. it, that's quite a fun thing about Halloween that people can just dress up as like, slightly as, as they want and they can do whatever they want. Like, you know, like yeah. I think I think maybe me and you also like because we're quite curmudgeonly in terms of like I also hate dressing up. I find it so annoying. Like I just don't want to do it. But the thing is it's because we're not really I don't think you or I are like particularly creative in that way and it takes up time yeah. and energy that we would like we'd rather read books or we'd rather you know where well, well we're just not very good at it right yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's really the reason um no you're absolutely right I think that's that's a big part of it and actually when I have actually co- been compelled by former housemates and stuff to like cobble together a Halloween costume or actually I spent one Halloween in New York um visiting people and so I went to a Halloween party and dressed up as Huntress Thompson and like managed to actually cobble together quite a good outfit just as I did for Larry David one year basically they're all bald people (laughs) all bald men and on both occasions I was like actually this is quite sick I'm quite liking being Huntress Thompson like for the for the day so so yeah you're right the curmudgeonliness just comes from the fact I have no ideas like I don't know how to like create a good costume that's Um, it because it's effort as well maybe maybe a bit of an easy and lazy uh thing for us to uh, complain about yeah no I completely agree and I really, I really love, I love that feeling when you do dress up, you know, that like it is, it is super empowering. Like you do feel like really special, you know, when you actually yeah. put in the effort. I think it's the idea of it though, that I just can't, I just can't be fucked with. <laughs> but I love that you, I love that you basically exclusively go as bald men. <laughs> yeah, those are the only, those are the only people I can possibly play. Um, I mean, yeah, of course the other thing is like, there's a flip side to the sort of my desire to always celebrate big public festivities and anything that is a rejection of work and the you know 
tedious, you know, draining kind of like ways that we spend our weeks in the service of capital and our bosses. So I should, I generally want to always celebrate that. But obviously, if you've ever been through Shoreditch on a Saturday night around this time of year, it is hell. And that is worth Mm. saying. (laughs) This year for Halloween, I'm going as a wanker. Uh, so yes, uh, on on this pumpkin spice note, um, I think maybe it's time it's time that Cash and I wrap up and go and uh, curl up under some duvets and uh, and what do you, I mean? Do you have have you? I feel like there's an important question we actually haven't addressed that we should do before we wrap up. Have you ever had a pumpkin spice latte? Because I haven't. No, I haven't. Right. Yeah. So... I, I imagine it. Kind of tastes, <laughs> I kind of I imagine it kind of tastes like chai. Um, like you know, like chai lattes, kind of like yeah, but, quite but, a lot but of like, cinnamon. Definitely like, not as good. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I think this is what's so interesting about pumpkin is that because pump, it's not actually the flavour of pumpkin; it's the spices that give it the flavour. You can mm. just make it whatever, and I'm I'm kind of a little unsure of its identity because like Christmas comes around and. You, we know the flavours and the scents and smells of Christmas, right? But they basically are the same as pumpkin spice latte. Yes. I think. I think the only difference is that, like, pumpkin, when I think of pumpkin spice lattes, I think of, like, syrup. I think of, like, mm. constructed flavour that's, like, very sweet. Like, I think the sweetness is is an aspect yeah. of this. Whereas, like, Christmas, you have that kind of, like, the richness in flavours. But I'm I'm really struggling to see the difference other than marketing. <laughs> to be yeah. honest, I think you're, I think you're right, but the reason it would be like a very um, artificial, chemically sort of syrup is because it's produced by Starbucks. Whereas I think when you think about mulled wine or a Christmas pudding, you're thinking about probably slightly better. Like you know, the mulled wine is probably something you've made yourself at home, so it's going to mm. taste. So those, those spices are going to feel a bit deeper and a bit more authentic i guess and a bit less like a chemical simulation of the of that i don't know are we are we are we got into a space here thanks to me where we're now speculating about what a drink tastes like that we haven't actually tried i don't think we are unfortunately we've done Um, done some terrible research for this episode we really have we have have, yeah we should have both been drinking them i mean i i just want to say like big up the uh mold cider that's my drink like Mm. not don't mind mold wine but that's if, if i'm gonna have a spiced hot drink uh a i'd like it to have some alcohol in ideally but also be yeah i want it to taste um you know apples it is apples it really should be apple season not pumpkin season well exactly exactly the celebration of the humble apple i just you know i was just thinking then so there's two things one is my friend told me that apparently if you put honey in in drinks if it's like honey goes into a hot liquid over a certain temperature it's actually poisonous. <laughs> That's what a friend that, told me. So that could that just sounds be like total wise tale. But mate, but who am I? You know, look, don't, don't, don't. Yeah, I can't come crying to you if I then have some honey. And, no way. You know, if you put honey in hot drinks, I put honey in hot drinks all the time. Also, I know. Into me like, too. I, I mean, I can't. I can't imagine it's a massive poison. I can't imagine it's really going to do much. Oh, so you're just being like, low key poisoned. Like I think, yeah. yeah. But like you know, we're low key poisoned by loads of things all the time, and we don't stop them. So it's I mean, fine. that's. Yeah, that's the sort of effect of what's the... happening when you drink alcohol, <laughs> isn't it? So let's, let's not let's not dwell on that too deeply. <laughs> but also, I was kind of just thinking then, because this is something that we've not really touched on, I just kind of briefly want to mention the idea of like how people um, link their personalities to companies and capitalist brands. And I think it's mm. so interesting, you know, when you were talking about the flavours, it's like from Sp- Starbucks. And 
when I was a teenager, like a young teenager, we would all ha- we'd like hang out in Golders Green quite a lot. And there's a big Starbucks in Golders Green, and we couldn't easily. Uh, like, you know, we couldn't like easily buy alcohol in pubs because we were like 16 or whatever. We drink in like parks often. Mm, um, sure, but, you know, so. like it wasn't it. it you, you're not like your access to alcohol and your your like processes of drinking alcohol are really different. So it's like quite quite hard to know how to like establish a sense of self. So often this is where like brands kind of step in, right? You're kind of like finding yourself, but like, especially around like cultural, like ways of being and doing. So I would like, we go to this Starbucks, basically like my main hobbies, my main activities as a teenager were drinking in parks and drinking in Starbucks, but not drinking alcohol in Starbucks, like, you know, drinking Obviously. like coffees and whatever. Yeah. Were you into it? Because I feel like I'm sure my partner Anifa said in the past that like a big part of her, I, I'm going to get the age wrong, but maybe when she was like 14 or something, like a lot of what they would do at that age when you wanted to hang out with your friends and get something nice, but obviously, yeah, you weren't going to be going to pubs, would be to get the Frappuccinos, mm-hmm. what they're called, yeah, which was yeah. just like insanely sugary drinks mm-hmm. so i guess i guess i guess kids today are probably drinking bubble tea am i right is that a, is that is that the, the modern <laughs> don't ask me of... dan i'm not a, i'm not a kid <laughs> unfortunately yeah. unfortunately i feel like you like definitely have your finger way more firmly on the pulse than me no i just regard. see bubble tea it's just bubble tea as you mix this, isn't it in london but yeah um but is that yeah identity formation through what through going to starbucks is yeah, sort of so, what you're saying. yeah so there's definitely a sense of like identity formation that i think when you're a teenager like a youngest teenager like yeah 14 is probably more accurate here in this because definitely by 16 you are mainly going out drinking right because you like, and this is about you sort of exerting your individuality through making your first sort of consumer choices and associations with a particular brand or whatever. But I just think that like the idea of the construction of pumpkin spice lattes, you know, they stand as like an emblem for a much wider range of like drinks that are available that people can use as a signifier of their personalities and also of their Mm. aesthetics. They can put up an Instagram of like them drinking a Starbucks coffee. And I think what's really interesting about Starbucks as a company is that it was super fashionable when I was like a teenager, you know, it was like, oh, Starbucks. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's fancy. That's that's quite funny. It is quite funny, isn't it? (laughs) To like think back to that kind of like, you know, that early 2000s-ish period where like Starbucks was like quite it was kind of fancy it was kind of like oh starbucks it's like you know it was relishing in its american cultural hegemony it was you know that was its whole selling point its whole unique selling point was like we are american and it's a bit like you know we can create an environment that maybe makes you feel like you're in friends but you're not in friends you're in fucking gold as green (laughs) do you know what i mean and i think it's not central park it's it's starbucks gold as green yeah exactly exactly and i think that something like the pumpkin spice latte is a godsend you know the construction of that is a godsend for for companies like starbucks because let's be honest like starbucks is like you know it's been through the wash i think is the right phrase for this like you know it's not it's not somewhere place it's like not somewhere that now i think people go oh that's fancy or whatever you know it's 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 a it's a bear moth, right? It's a it's a coffee bear moth that I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's like the antithesis of independence. You know, like people don't think it's cool, but something like pumpkin spice lattes keep 
places like that uh, relevant, right? But only up and only up to a point. So it's like huge and like really popular, these drinks, right? But because spice lattes are like, because it's a flavor, you know, going back to that pulled pork comment I, meant er- I, I said earlier, it's really interesting, I think, how like, uh, it's 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 a fashion device, right? It's a way of like commod- commodifying a season to sell for Starbucks. But then, uh, yeah, basically like what happens when pumpkin spice falls out of favour? I mean, I'm sure it probably won't because it basically is just like vanilla and sweet things, right? But I just think that's really, <laughs> I just think it's really interesting seeing the kind of ebbs and flows of basically how, how like capital capitalist, companies like Starbucks want to both like want you to buy into their brand and also they want to keep themselves relevant so that like so that you will forever like give them money for their like overpriced beverages basically (laughs) sort of like I mean I'm trying to think because you say companies like Starbucks I'm trying to think what some other examples might be so like McDonald's producing coffee that doesn't taste like utter crap and salads and I mean is that you know, well, I think like you know how how else how else are these like basically on because like how much more can you do as Starbucks except for just selling more coffee as you say this is a big innovation that's helped well, innovation's a silly word for it but like you know they they they've they've helped arrest the decline of the excite of the excitement around their brand as you say as you so mm-hmm. rightly say through this someone like Coca Cola like there's not there's not much more you can do except just keep selling Coca Cola. I know, but but even Coca-Cola come up with like different versions of their drinks, like the Coca-Cola Zero, which is what's well, funny is than... that a lot of them. Oh right, yeah, is it way better? Fair enough. I was just thinking no, a no, lot no, of them not, are failures, than... like Coke Vanilla or whatever. Like you know, a lot oh of God, Coke a lot of these attempts horrible. to like to like tweak. If you have a successful recipe, but you're worried that that successful recipe. I mean, that literally yeah. or metaphorically, you know, it could be a recipe for a, an aesthetic. You know, when people get bored of that. But I think you can see this constantly. Like, you know, it's like Greg selling chicken katsu, <laughs> like, pie or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, chicken yeah. katsu, like, um, pasty or whatever. There is such an air of desperation around them that I think is really see-through. Like, someone's obviously read in a magazine that, like, chicken katsu curry or pulled pork or whatever these, like, trends are are important. Do you know what I mean? It's, like, it's just quite cringe. I feel, I feel like the next one... Because we've been, uh, I've been watching MasterChef The Professionals because uh, it's the best program on TV, and um, like identifying what the sort of trends are each year and which ones are boring and ought to be from you know like chocolate soil. Come on, it's not 2016 <laughs> anymore. Um, but miso, ca- I think miso yeah, caramel is yeah. the next one. Like I'm already getting yeah. bored of hearing about it. So would you let me know? Because I don't really have any. I don't have a Greg's anywhere near me. Really, would you let me know when they stop doing like a miso caramel <laughs> glazed bun, know, yeah, Danish or something? Yeah, because then because then I'll know it's definitely over, yeah. as it were. And on that very seasonal note, um, thank you so much as ever for uh, listening to Cursed Objects. Um, I hope you're cosy wherever you are, that you're here. Um, that I, I also really hope that I'm pronouncing that even vaguely correctly, though I'm probably not, am I? Yeah, thank, thanks for listening, guys. And if you want to keep Dan and I in a steady supply of our overpriced Starbucks coffees <laughs> <laughs> please consider um, supporting our patron we really really appreciate it but if you can't spare anything don't worry about it please just recommend us to a mate um, mm-hmm. discuss us 
widely in the pub or in your local coffee shop. Um, Maybe set up a cursed objects discussion group in your local area in which uh, <laughs> you gather around and sort of like a reading group. It'll happen eventually, Cash. It'll happen. Uh, but yeah, if you do want to support our Patreon, we did like an epic double episode on the period of national mourning after the Queen's Jubilee that's gone up recently. But there's loads more on there that um, you, I think if you enjoyed this episode, you'd really enjoy those as well. You, uh, Patreon is just four quid a month. And uh, yeah, but yeah, either way, we'll keep doing episodes for free uh, as well as for the Patreon. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.